Welcome to Granite State Matters, the busy person's way to catch up with what's happening in Concord. Because the extremists are taking over the state house, And what you don't know can hurt you. I'm Steve Marchand. And I'm Jean Deitch, sitting in for Terry Harkins. Jean, it is great to see you. We've got ourselves an episode today uh, that continues to tie a lot of the themes that have been coming up a lot over the past several episodes. Uh, I think it was our third episode about how the Free Staters and the Liberty Alliance have steadily been taken over the state house. Yeah, yeah. What happened is is that as you gerrymander the districts, then the contention comes between the the more radical right and the standard Republicans, and uh, the more radical people tend to go to the primary. So we've gotten more and more radical people into the state house, and then of course those people then are funded by the external forces like the Josiah Bartlett centers, uh, Coke. Uh, funding. Uh, and then we get the Americans for Prosperity who come in. And uh, those are just the beginning. There are piles of libertarian groups that are sending millions of dollars into New Hampshire. And it feels like that is accelerating over the last few years. This isn't just oh, steady. Yeah. This is getting, yeah. uh, this is inundating public policy in New Hampshire. And, and they, they often have this New Hampshire veneer, right, that has kind of a local vibe to it based on the name of the organization or perhaps a couple of the faces. But then, as we've done in, in prior episodes, you look at how the funding comes in, and very little of that money is actually coming from New Hampshire. This is national-level money. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, today we're going to talk about whether our government is for people for profit and the sense that it's headed in the latter direction. Something I know, uh, try to have a little fun with these sometimes pretty heavy topics, is to frame some pretty amazing things going on in the form of a question, a quiz question, to be exact. Um, so uh, I'm going to I'm going to quiz you, Jane, although I suspect you you know more about this than just about anybody. But for our listeners, most people are willing to let corporations do as they please, because what's best for General Motors is best for America. <laughs> right. Yeah. OK. So that's quiz question one. Right. True or false. OK. Uh, and second quiz question is a Libertarian Cato Institute report claims New Hampshire is the freest state in the nation. That report was co-authored by the vice president of the Charles Koch Institute. So that'll be our second question. Is New Hampshire considered the freest state in the country as decided by the Libertarian Cato Institute? And then the third kind of quiz question to consider, the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire Sometimes we'll tweet some pretty, pretty wild stuff, but you know, how wild? Well, did they recently post a tweet on MLK Day just a few weeks ago that said, America isn't in debt to black people. If anything, it's the other way around. And did they tweet that on MLK Day? Uh, a good way to frame these episodes. I think you coined this, Jane, is sort of the, the three V's. Right. Mm -hmm. The values, the villains, the vision. Uh, if you try to say it too fast, it won't work so well. But <laughs> there it's an important way to look at this. Uh, so thinking about the values for a second, uh, even those that will uh, say they emphasize uh, freedom, uh, say even over fairness, 
will acknowledge that there are limitations that without some role of government to help create some rules of the road uh, to inject some level of fairness between rank and file, everyday people and large corporations, society just doesn't work very well. Democracy won't work very well. Capitalism won't work very well. I mean, Adam Smith and most people across the ideological spectrum acknowledge that people on some level want structure to help uh, minimize the impact of greed from corporations that could otherwise dominate society and our economy. Pew Research just did a study on this uh, not too long ago, and, and uh, they, they found that the more educated the person, uh, the more likely they were to feel that uh, government is necessary to uh, protect the public interest. And when you got to environmental regulations, a, a huge swath of the public says, uh, yes, we need um, government uh, environmental regulations, that they are worth the cost uh, to the economy because obviously we have to protect the planet, we have to protect our water, we have to protect our air. I've heard you say that most people in New Hampshire, um, they, they sort of go between three and seven on how much government you should have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the challenge, I think, with this free stater injection, certainly into the Republican Party and to a lot of local governments now, particularly in smaller communities around the state, um, they're taking that three to seven spectrum on the one to 10 scale. And they're, I think they're doing two things. Uh, one is that they're nudging the whole thing rightward so that all of a sudden a seven sounds like a wild-eyed liberal when it's somebody who's actually quite kind of center left. But when you nudge that thing down from three to seven down to, say, one to five, you're nudging the whole conversation in a libertarian direction and it means you're introducing ideas that by any definition would be considered pretty extreme, the ones and the twos on that spectrum. And that seems to be where we're going right now. Exactly. But so, I mean, the question is, how are the profit-driven interests of the 0.1% able to control legislation and reduce enforcement of regulations if the majority of the people who live in New Hampshire don't agree? You know, and you uh, discussed this just a minute ago. When we had our earlier episode about the role of gerrymandering, I mean, New Hampshire, perhaps more than any state in the country, when you look at the size of some of these house districts, New Hampshire house districts, state house districts, you'll have communities that have eight to 10 state reps in their one community, which in any other mm -hmm. part of the country sounds uh, impossible. Mm -hmm. And so what we're asking voters to do people who are raising kids, starting businesses, driving to work, uh, worrying about day-to-day -day life, sick parent, you name it, real life. We're asking them to also become informed enough that they could differentiate between the 10 Democrats on the, on the general election ballot for state rep in their town and the 10 Republicans and the potential nuance between some of the 10 within each party. This is not realistic. And the, the libertarians don't explain what they want to do. You know, it's like uh, Senator uh, Ruth Ward. She ran on a uh, local control platform. And then when she got in, she's just promoting a bill that wants to dissolve regional school districts. I mean, you know, so they, they don't necessarily tell you, even if you are <laughs> reading the thing. But I think when we look at the, um, the profit from outside, and um, how it's able to control the legislation. It, it's not just the 0.1%. 
um, they can't do it by themselves. So they um, have collaborated uh, by using the right-wing Christian groups, and they they've seen that oh, these Christian groups they're you know they're really challenged by the social change that's gone over the last few decades. I mean, it's hard for hard for just about everyone to keep track of. You know, um, we've got gender equity and of course racial equity, and we have more diverse religions and cultures coming into the United States. And and if if all those things can feel threatening, and um, so uh, what the uh, the point one percent do is is they magnify that threat and say we'll fix it for you. You know we'll we'll stop um, social change. We'll uh, we'll 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 stop changing the life that you've led in the past um, that seems to to be um, going in a different direction. Um, and and so they've been able to work with those folks. I do think that there is a, if you look at New Hampshire, say 10, 15 years ago, when there was a pretty conservative, massive majority that entered the uh, legislature in New Hampshire, the uh, Bill O'Brien, some will remember, then Speaker O'Brien in 2010 through about 2014 or so. What this iteration, what this generation has done that makes it, uh, in my opinion, scary in terms of its improved effectiveness is even with smaller majorities, there is a pragmatism and you're touching on it, I think right there that says people, um, groups that maybe aren't uh, passionate about the same parts of public policy, one dealing with concerns on the, what they see as overly rapid changes in society that, you know, in our opinion, obviously we're a stronger society when we're an inclusive society, but it creates a, a fear as a form of passion for one Another one that is uh, in some ways potentially even scarier because of the underlying values beneath the movement is the alt-right, which has gained uh, a lot of influence and prominence, notoriety over the last four or five years. Uh, They're sometimes described as kind of an odd mix of libertarian uh, and uh, Christian uh, ideology kind of gone off the rails. Uh, Libertarian Christians that have uh, uh, take it down to an anti-Semitic or a white supremacist view in its most extreme forms. Obviously, this is extremely dangerous for society and has hate as part of its ideology. Since Donald Trump sought them out uh, during his uh, first presidential run, other politicians in New Hampshire around the country, Commissioner Edelblue, uh, Education Commissioner Edelblue, has been more prone to uh, letting them into the mainstream of conversation. He is quoted in alt-right press around the U.S. Uh, and actually joined an alt-right Twitter kind of group called Gab. Uh, he has de- since deleted posts that he's done about this. Uh, but uh, the idea even a decade ago that this kind of perverse form of conservatism, libertarianism, under the cloak of some religious elements uh, that this could take any kind of hold in uh, one of the two mainstream political parties uh, would be unimaginable. And yet here we are, uh, and its influence does not seem to be waning. I mean, if anything, as part of this odd coalition, it seems to be gaining strength, and this is why it needs to be called out in no uncertain terms. So in addition to the religious groups, uh, they also use, as you say, the libertarian groups, 
Um, in New Hampshire, there's a coalition between the Liberty Alliance and the 0.1% that's even stronger than any Christian coalition. Um, and as an example, recently, Jason Sorens, the founder of the Free State Project that attracted 2,000 libertarians to move to the state, uh, he collaborates with a fellow named Will Ruger, who uh, is, is promoted as being a researcher at the Cato Institute, but he also serves as the vice president of the Charles Koch Institute. And of Charles, uh, Charles Koch, of course, is founder of Koch Industries, the leader of lobbyists who discount climate change, fight environmental regulation, social security, Medicare, public schools, and many other programs supported by the majority of people. So here we have this fellow who's trying to get rid of regulations because it helps Koch brothers and all their collaborators. Uh, and he's working with the founder of the Free State Movement. And Governor Sanudu even went down with them and met at the, uh, at the Cato Institute. So that's how tightly woven the 0.1% the is with New Hampshire. And that explains what I've always wondered about, which is why a state like New Hampshire with no fossil fuels uh, is so, so tightly uh, in bed with uh, Coke Industries and, and the others. Another that is very passionate about this sort of free state libertarian movement. And then I think there's another group of folks who aren't even that ideological in terms of a specific opinion. Maybe it's low taxes, pro-corporation. But when they, they understand that if they all work together at key moments, they're able to get over the 50% threshold on a key vote here or there that allow things that ordinarily would probably not even have majority support in the legislature, much less the general population but it allows things to get over the finish line because they're willing to look the other way on certain policies in order to make sure they get what they really want on other policies. And it's leading to things like the budget last year. Exactly. And, and so you see the governor saying, oh, well, I couldn't stop the uh, voucher bill because it was in the budget and I had to sign the budget. You know, that gives him uh, a, a weight, an out. Uh, for, as you say, this very extreme legislation. Then we get to kind of the vision of all this. So obviously we're hoping here on this podcast to play a role in helping educate and to help connect dots and get the word out there. But it's going to take a whole lot of people rowing in the same direction to to educate and activate, right? To create the kind of change that that puts the brakes on this extremist kind of direction. So when, when we talk about a vision, what do you see out of all of this as a vision that we can uh, organize around? Well, of course, that gets into what Granite State Matters is all about, is, is that uh, we are trying to communicate with people through every medium we can find. We've got, we've got this podcast, obviously. We've got newsletter. We've got, uh, we've got billboards up in Manchester. We've got uh, um, uh, all the different social medias, and, and we have uh, videos uh, aimed for the younger set. Uh, so um, and and we're working to try to get some uh, a groundswell of awareness through postcard effort. So I, I think that those are the kinds of efforts um, that have to uh, happen uh, because we no longer have centralized media uh, in our state or anywhere else. So we have to use as many different eff efforts as we can to make people aware. And I think when people get aware, then they go out and vote. I think you're right. And I know uh, we're going to be talking with Anita Burroughs, a wonderful state rep uh, from um, uh, Carroll County, uh, shortly. 
And uh, this will be something that I think we're going to talk about is from her perspective as a legislator, uh, what can be done? How can we move the ball in this way? Uh, And we'll look forward to talking with Anita in a moment. This has been a great episode. But before we go, Jane, we would be remiss if we did not actually provide the answers to the quiz questions we asked earlier in today's episode. So uh, let me uh, help remind, at least with the first one, the first quiz question was, most people are willing to let corporations do as they please because, as the old saying goes, what's best for General Motors is best for America. Right. Obviously. Right. Right, Gene? <laughs> I, I, would, I would say that's pretty obviously false. You know, we, it's pretty clear that uh, GM would much rather uh, not have to deal with pollution regulations or <laughs> or uh, uh, pay their people uh, um, well or anything like that. So uh, or, or provide uh, health insurance. Et cetera, so. So, that, so clearly false. Here's remember our second question for the folks at home. The Libertarian Cato Institute uh, released a report that claimed New Hampshire is the freest state in America. This report was co-authored by the vice president of the Charles Koch Institute. Are we the freest state, according to the Koch brothers? Uh, Yes, we are. It's true. And Will Ruger is uh, the co-author with Jason Sorens, who is uh, head of the Free State Movement, is uh, vice president of the Charles Koch Institute. So that is unfortunately a true statement. And then the final one, which in some ways is the most um, unbelievable, is we asked true or false, the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, their Twitter handle, they wrote a tweet on Martin Luther King Day that said, quote, America isn't in debt to black people. If anything, it's the other way around, end quote. And it's true. Unfortunately, a number of libertarian, I mean, not everybody, obviously, but a number of libertarian party members are avowed white supremacists, and they are sneaking in laws that disadvantage minorities. It's something that most people in the state do not support. Uh, it was it was pretty incredible. I saw that on Twitter uh, on the holiday, uh, and I thought it was a parody at first, uh, a nasty parody, uh, until it was revealed to be indeed true. So... Um, uh, this, we got a lot that we're dealing with here, and this episode is another, you know, drop in the water to help create those ripples to uh, to build awareness. Uh, we're going to be talking with Anita Burroughs, a wonderful state rep from um, Carroll County, uh, shortly, and uh, this will be something that I think we're going to talk about is from her perspective as a legislator, uh, what can be done? How can we move the ball in this way? Uh, stay tuned for that. You are listening to Granite State Matters. And we're back uh, to have a conversation along these lines today uh, with a wonderful state representative from the northern part of Carroll County who knows the state house and the ways around it as well as anybody. Anita, you recently wrote an op-ed that made its way um, all around New Hampshire. There was an opening value statement I wanted you to talk a little bit about and go back and forth on uh, that uh, people were looking for freedom as a primary goal, a primary value, especially here in New Hampshire. In this program, we've talked about how uh, a recent Pew survey showed that although people obviously want individual rights and they want freedom, they also want some degree of protection from the overreach that can come from big corporations, from corporate greed, and that government sometimes helps 
balance out that impulse that can happen otherwise. Talk a little bit about how do we balance those two things and do you think that we can do that in a place like New Hampshire through legislation and otherwise? Uh, Steve, that's a really good question. I have a different answer today than I would have had in the previous session when I was elected in 2018, where I felt that it was a much more bipartisan atmosphere. It's very different right now. And I think there's a real shift over towards deregulation and uh, passing bills that favor big corporations and away from consumer protections and the individual rights. It's an interesting point you make that the majority in the House is actually quite narrow compared to other relatively recent times in the House. Uh, There is a Republican majority, but the nature of many of the members that fall under the Republican Party sound quite a bit different than they were, you know, a generation or even less ago. And it sounds like they have the ability or there are a critical mass of them now, perhaps, that are allowing more extreme versions to get through now. That's absolutely correct, Steve. Um, I actually find it uh, increasingly frightening. Um, I believe, as do many of my, my colleagues on both sides of the aisle, that the state house is being run by right-wing extremists that are being um, steered, so to speak, by the free state movement. And uh, I don't know how this happened so quickly. I think many of us thought this would never happen, but it's here. And they are really calling the shots. And I really believe that citizens of New Hampshire need to be really aware of what's going on. Obviously, we're seeing some pretty extreme things making their way through the legislature, uh, especially the New Hampshire House. Talk a little bit, if you would, about who are the beneficiaries of these pretty radical changes that are underway in the legislative process? I I think the Big business is steering some of this, and they are going to be the beneficiaries of much of this legislation. Uh, We had three interesting bills on on the Commerce Committee. We had three really interesting bills this year relating to cryptocurrency, which is obviously something that we're going to be living with. It's becoming more prominent and, and frequent. The three cryptocurrency laws that we went through the Commerce Committee were all geared towards deregulation. And that's, that's actually pretty frightening because, again, it is new. We need to protect consumers for this new technology. But these were geared to, uh, to protect these uh, cryptocurrency uh, companies. And there are, one of the bills was to, uh, to create special uh, institutions to run c- cryptocurrency. And I think that's very frightening because I think the goal was to get away from current leg- red, uh regulations that banks go through, um, and consumers may not be protected if you have deposits in there. So luckily, at least for now, these bills are, are made, it, we made a decision that we're still going to work on these bills because I do think they're important issues, but I do think we need to think about who are they going to benefit and why are they being put forth. And I think in these cases, um, big businesses are going to benefit. And one clear concern that we have about cryptocurrency is that it is being used by criminals. Uh, it's being used in drug trades. We had a case in New Hampshire not that long ago that did involve cryptocurrency. And there is a real concern that institutions, that businesses are going to use this to have more trans, uh, less transparent 
transactions that may not be taxed, may not be legal. So these are all things that, that before we move forward with these bills, we really need to think about. And one of the one of the current concerns I had in Commerce Committee is that I did not feel that we had the experts in the room that could help guide us. And I'm hoping that when we return to these bills that these individuals will be there to help us. Let's talk about another bill that's gotten a lot of buzz. People are concerned about it, particularly in areas like mine up in the North Country, where we get uh, over 6 million visitors a year, and many of them are, are coming up uh, and and people are investing in, in homes to use as short-term re- rentals. Now, SB 249, the original intent of this bill was to ban a ban on short-term rentals across the state. And there's been a lot of controversy A lot of people see this as a move away from local control, um, which has been traditionally how zoning is done. So this would be a real veering away from that. And the impact of of this could be raise your property taxes. Areas like Berlin pay actually pay more property taxes than wealthy towns. So this has a double whammy effect that could raise some property taxes at the same time removing inventory from affordable housing. So those are some of the concerns. And one thing that that hasn't really been talked about, and I don't think it's so far down the road, um, is that companies like Marriott are getting into the short-term rental business, particularly for upscale properties. And it's not a long stretch to think that companies like Marriott, and there are others doing it right now also, they're gearing up in areas where there's a lot of tourism. Uh, These companies are gearing up, so it's not a stretch to think that you could be living in a neighborhood someday that's really controlled by Marriott because they own the bulk of the properties uh, in your little neighborhood. And how are you going to be able to fight that in court? So these are just some of the concerns that are coming forth. I, uh, my belief is that a lot of the sponsors of the bill, including Jeb Bradley, are hearing the concerns and they're, they're shifting course. So I'm dubious that the ban on the ban is going to pass um, the House. It's a great point, Anita, about this uh, ban on the ban on, on uh, short-term housing. Uh, when we look at one of the biggest problems in New Hampshire, you hear it at the local and statewide level, it's affordable housing. It's, it's the lack of affordability. Uh, and all this is going to do is decrease the amount of supply at a time when the supply and demand curves are already out of whack in big parts of the state. Um, I know even in your part of the state, in the northern part of Carroll County, where uh, you have a lot of seasonal demand, uh, skiing in the winter and the summer vacation, um, there were recent bans on short-term rentals. Uh, the impact of not being able at the local level to control that at all is just communicating to the big businesses, uh, we're not going to worry about affordability and housing, go get it. Uh, this is one of the top two or three issues that I know we hear about across the state. So it's a sneaky one, as you say. It is not obvious why this would be another example of what we're talking about today, but it is. Uh, you mentioned a moment ago, Anita, also some of the folks that are coming in to testify on behalf of some of these bills. Uh, Members of think tanks, for example, uh, libertarian and conservative think tanks. Um, Are you seeing a lot of that in this session? Yes, Steve, we're seeing a lot of that this session. Um, And despite COVID and Omicron, particularly in, in committees like education, where we're talking about the school voucher bills, we're seeing hundreds of people show up to testify in favor of this who don't live in New Hampshire. And that's that's the New Hampshire way. We allow anyone to testify. But 
when you see all these people signed in in favor or against a bill, you really have to look at where they're from and uh, what their motives are. And we always have people from think, t- think tanks from, from left and right uh, showing up, but I think increasingly the, uh, the lobbies that are representing big business are more of a presence this year than I remember in last session. A question I'd have as we close up today uh, is what can be done from your perspective as a legislator? What can we all do in the general public that would do the most to help buttress what folks like you are doing to try to push back on this movement that is occurring within our midst? I I think that what we're seeing in Carroll County is we have a lot of people who are writing letters, perhaps have never written a letter before. And I remember opening the paper one day and there were four or five letters concerned about all the things that we're talking about today. So I think it's very important that people get involved And I'm hearing more and more people in my community, my constituents saying, I didn't know that any of this stuff was going on and I'm really concerned about it. I had people come up to me in the gym and say, what can I do to help? And I think that's encouraging. I think that's a very good point. It starts in a lot of ways at the top. If as long as uh, rank and file voters believe that uh, the head of the Republican Party in this state, Governor Chris Sununu, is a moderate who is likable and is mainstream and, of course, would not support such things as what we're talking about today, then it, as long as that dynamic exists, it becomes much harder to um, identify and to push back on uh, what is going on throughout the Republican Party, this libertarian and free state uh, kind of takeover of the party. Um, it, it, I think uh, a lot of folks feel we have to pick out there in the general public between identifying that uh, or uh, talking about the enabling that Governor Sununu has done to help make this possible. And I think it sounds uh, like part of the education is uh, that we have to do both at the same time and connect those dots uh, for those that aren't thinking about politics all day, every day, uh, but are going to vote in November and are going to talk to their neighbors as we approach Election Day. I think that there's a real misconception that Governor Sununu is a moderate He is not a moderate, and he increasingly is drinking the Kool-Aid of the Free Staters and the Libertarian Party, and I feel like he is really moving in that direction, and I think a lot of people don't understand that. They don't listen carefully to what he's saying, the things that he's vetoing, and um, they really need to do so before the next election. Our guest today has been Anita Burroughs, a wonderful representative from Carroll County. So glad you took time to be with us today. Look forward to seeing you again very soon. Thanks so much, Steve. I was happy to be here. All right. Thank you, Anita. So this has been Granite State Matters discussion of the power of profit versus people in New Hampshire. Our next episode will ask, can towns and school districts survive a state takeover? You can follow our biweekly podcast at your favorite podcast provider and share it with friends and neighbors because extremists are taking over the state house. And what you don't know can hurt you.